Welcome to Books on Air, the podcast you really don't want to miss. I'm Suzanne Harris, and you're about to find out some interesting information about a particular author. He's going to give you his secret recipe for creating his book. You might even find out an inside scoop on the new project. And if you want to know more about him, we'll tell you where you can find him on social media. Joining me today is Jim Henninger, and he's here to talk about a really interesting book called From Nightlife to Eternal Life, The Story of Bit Thrower. Jim, welcome. Thank you, Suzanne. You know, I think this is such an intriguing title. I'm sure our listeners went, what? I want to talk about you a little bit before we start talking about the book. Authors have a backstory, usually. There's a reason that they started to write. Sometimes it's as simple as when they were young, they were a reader, and they became intrigued by the idea of writing. Or they have a natural ability, and a professor or a teacher recognized that natural ability and encouraged it. Or often there's some sort of seminal event that will happen in the life of the author, and they feel compelled almost to share that event with people, and so they will write a book. What's Jim Henninger's backstory? When did you start to write, and why? I was uh, married to my first wife for 39 years, and Linda, and she passed away in 2012 and she always encouraged me to to write i was my undergraduate degree was in journalism and political science and i got out of school and i never really utilized my journalism background per se and so when my first wife and i'm married to diane now by the way for the last four years but when my first wife passed away uh I thought about what she had said. She always encouraged me. So I did write a fiction book uh, entitled uh, Recording a Kill that was uh, published uh, five or six years ago. And I did that kind of at her uh, request or her encouragement. And that's why I wrote that particular book. And I'm working on a sequel to it now, if truth be told. But this particular book, uh, From Nightlife to Eternal Life, was about a gentleman named Bit Thrower, and that is Bit with two T's, by the way. And uh, Mr. Thrower was introduced to me by an associate at, uh, at our church uh, who told me that he knew an individual who wanted to have a book written about his life, and would I go to meet them at breakfast? So I agreed. And I hit it off with Bit immediately. He's a big, about 6'3 and 240. He was... Uh, very charismatic. He sounded like Chris Christopherson, a deep voice. And we, we hit it off very well. And he was nearing the end of his life and, and knew that. He suffered from uh, from cancer for several years. And he had finally uh, come to resolution with his faith and to, to salvation, actually, in the latter years of his life. And he sort of ran around the corner and, and sort of fought that uh, that you know, final process for for decades for most of the time he lived. He led a very colorful life, and he told me while we were eating breakfast that he thought it'd be worth the effort for he and I if we wanted to to try to collaborate and write a book about his life. And 
he said to me very, very directly that if one person reads the book and it helps him make the correct decision with respect to his faith, then it'll be worth all the effort. So we handshook on the deal. Did nobody signed any paperwork or anything and went about it. I did. I taped him for about 60 hours and it was a different type of uh, creation, this book, because I was trying to tell his story and not, you know, make up a story of my own. So it was a different approach there, but we, uh, we finally got it finished. I, and it was published the year after uh, Bit passed away, which was in 2017. Bit was his real name? His real name was Howard, Howard Thrower. And when he was a, a young child, he was always big. He was big at an early age. And he was he was called Bit uh, for the same reason you'd call a a uh, a chubby guy skinny or something. They just that was somehow that name was attached to him by somebody in his youth, and it stuck with him throughout his life. And again, it was Bit with two T's, which is a little unusual. <laughs> well, of course, when I first read this, I thought, did he make up this guy's name, or was this somebody really named Bit Thrower? Because you've got to admit. It does sound like a 1930s detective or something. Yeah, he's uh, and he uh, he would have been a good 1930s detective. He he was into everything uh, during his life, which we might get to uh, in a, a little bit here in our discussion. Well, I mean, this guy was not a good guy. He did. A, he was on not the right side of the law a lot of his life, and so. What struck me really as I was as I was reading through this was that you actually helped someone else who had these seminal events. His life was a seminal event for him, and he felt that compulsion as he felt his life uh, coming to an end to get his story out. And you were his biographer. Is that fair to say? That's a that's a pretty good pretty good uh, description of it. And he he was he always knew what was right and what was wrong, and he just almost ran from what was right. And he reached a point in his life, and he and he told me this that he reached a point where he thought he was completely beyond redemption, and that he had done so many things that he was not proud of that there was no chance for him to. Uh, to, to reach any kind of accord with his maker. And he, he, he even started, uh, occasionally would pray that, that if, uh, if God would take care of his children, he would do this or do that. He was just completely, uh, convinced that he was, he was too far gone, but that changed later. He, he did manage to through a series of events, uh, turn his life around. He seems so interesting, and it almost sounds like confession. It almost sounded like he felt like if he voiced all of these misdeeds and and things that he felt were bad in his life, that maybe he could make a deal with God, and that if he told what he had done and, and sort of fessed up in real life, that maybe that would make some difference in the hereafter. I think he was hoping that he would be able to, yeah, affect other people who might be sitting on the fence or might be, you know, on the, on the cusp of maybe uh, making a, a good decision with respect to their belief or not. And 
he was just uh, very, but despite all this, and he was very talented. He had a lot of skills that he could have employed in, in more legitimate enterprises. And I think he would have been very successful, but above, uh, above everything throughout the years, he was, he was very, very faithful and very concerned about his family, his children and his siblings and, and so forth. And that was, that was a constant through Bitt's life. Did writing this book and sitting there and interviewing him for over 60 hours affect you? Was there something that happened to you as a result of this? <clears throat> I was uh, I was certainly affected by the the extent of his his roller coaster ride. Maybe we should say he did so many different things. He was primarily uh, throughout the years he was uh, he he managed nightclubs. He was involved with several of them, including one that was uh, well known in Atlanta probably in the eighties or so called the gold club and, and a, and a bunch of other clubs. And he was, he was also, uh, because of some legal trouble he got into in Florida, he became a kind of an undercover agent for the DEA and occasionally for the, for the, uh, GSBI or the, uh, the local state branch of the FBI. And in the, in the matter of trying to, trying to bring down drug dealers and he, he went. He did a lot of traveling, some travel international for this this purpose, and he he did. He was a boxing promoter at one time, and he owned a car lot at one time with another gentleman. He uh, tried to start a, a sports bar, and and he and he was really just. It seemed like throughout his life, though, it did seem as if every time he tried to embark on a on a quote unquote clean venture and maybe try to wean himself off of the the life he had been in, it seemed like it always came to a grinding halt for, for whatever reason. Nothing nothing ever succeeded on and it, usually it was his past that was coming up to Biden was the reason his his uh, attempt to get into something that was on the right side of the law was unsuccessful. He put a great deal of trust in you. How did you feel about that? Uh, I was, yeah, I, he, we just immediately liked each other. And I, uh, I felt honored that he was, he was uh, allowing me to do this and to, to speak of this. And he had his biggest concern that I tried to honor as much as I could when I was writing the book was that he was very concerned about people reading this book and he didn't want to glamorize the bad things he had done and maybe have the wrong input. That was one concern. So I tried to, balance that is although in the first half of the book you probably wouldn't recognize that but i i tried to balance that after i set the tone for for what he the kind of person he was and what he did and his second concern was his uh, he's, he has four children uh by by three wives and the youngest two are twins and they're they're, they're about 18 now and he was really concerned about what they would think about their daddy when they read read the book at some point in time so i don't know i have no idea if they've read it or not but when when it first came out he was adamant that uh we or even before he died i should say before he passed away he was adamant with the people that were going to adopt his daughters that they he didn't want them to read that book until they were older 
Wow. Would you like to share a part of the book with our listeners? Yeah, I think this is kind of indicative of, uh, of especially a bit early, uh, earlier life, but he started in his first, he, he worked at several nightclubs. The first one he worked at is one that's no longer around, but it was a successful enterprise probably back in the 70s or 80s called Stagger Lee's. And he was working there and he had a good friend that named, last name was Bledsoe, that worked for him that was uh, actually uh, killed. And I'll just read a few excerpts from that. All of a sudden, Bledsoe faked the right hook and landed a solid left to the jaw of the troublemaker who went down in a heap like a sack of potatoes. Still angry, Bledsoe asked Bit, who was watching, to hold the fallen fighter up. Bit did so, and Bledsoe kicked him once in the face, sending him down again. And Bit kept him pinned on the ground. The beaten man's friend, who witnessed the entire thing, including the kick to his buddy's face, pulled a gun out of his waistband, a long barrel 357, and shot Bledsoe once in the back. Bledsoe went down. The bit surprised the shooter did not fire at him. Instead, he helped his friend get up, and they took off. Bit eventually, or originally thought Bledsoe would be okay because the bullet entering his back looked very small. But when he turned Bledsoe over, he was shocked at what he saw. He was obviously wounded in his abdomen. The bullet went down at an angle. Bit uh, ran to the club and told a co-worker to call in an ambulance. This took place in the parking lot, by the way. He then ran back to Bledsoe and held him in his arms. The paramedics arrived. Bledsoe lost a lot of blood and was unresponsive. He was declared dead on arrival at the hospital. Bledsoe's wife arrived at the hospital with two small children and faced the awful truth. Her husband was gone. Bit checked on the widow and her children several times over the next few months to make sure they were okay. The police uh, issued wanted wanted posters and, bol- and, and bolos, be on the lookout bulletins, for the pair, but they didn't find them. They were they were located a couple weeks later following an anonymous tip. They'd been hiding in an apartment complex in the Atlanta area. Uh, one had showed up, uh, one had shaved his head, the other had dyed his hair another color. After being picked up, they spent the night in jail and, to Bits' surprise, were released on their own recognizance the next morning. But they were charged with murder. Uh, Bit and his friends were, were extremely unhappy. And Bit and a friend of his went looking for them. And Bit was very, I'm, I'm actually I'm living here. But let me get back to the book instead. With, within two weeks of the arraignment of the two keys, they were dead. One supposedly hung himself with his own belt and left a suicide note to the widow. The other overdosed on quaaludes and left an, also left an apology note for taking the life of a husband and a father. Both deaths were ruled to be suicide, and they occurred within three hours of each other. Bitt was questioned several times by the police, by the police, but had a strong alibi. So that's a short excerpt from the book that was pretty, probably representative of uh, Bitt's life, especially the in the uh, early years. Wow. Who do you think is an audience for this book? Would it be true crime people? Would it be um, biographies? Who do you think will read 
Who did you write the book for? Uh, I wrote the book for people who are maybe struggling with their beliefs a little bit, who who enjoy action. I mean, it is an action-packed book, but it has a very strong and uh, and conclusive ending in, in terms of Bits' salvation and how he finally got right with God. Uh, Bit at one point in this book, Bit and his his uh, cohorts or his employees burned down a competing nightclub. He serves a stint in federal prison, which was also a a a, a time when he really uh, came to came to terms with his life when he was when he was behind bars. And when he came out, he was he was a new man, although he didn't have long to live. But as it turned out, uh, with in terms of his cancer. I think this is just so interesting. I'm sure our listeners are feeling exactly the same way, and they're saying, where can I get the book? It is available on Amazon. Now, if there's someone who's never worked with Amazon before, it's really easy. On your computer, all you have to do in the search feature is put in www.thewordamazon.com and click on that, and, I mean, it comes up just instantly. And there's a big search feature that's a, a kind of a long rectangular box that's blank. And so in it, you would type from nightlife to eternal life, colon, the story of Bit, B-I-T-T, Thrower, T-H-R-O-W-E-R, by Jim Henniger, H-E-N-N-I-N-G-E-R. Click on it, and the book comes right up. And the really cool thing is you'll see a picture on the cover of Bit Thrower himself. There he is. And in the upper right-hand corner, you'll see the words, Look Inside. Now, if you've never done this before, all you have to do is click on those words, and the book opens. And I always do air quotes when I say opens, because obviously it's electronic. So you'll be on the first page, and you have to navigate. You can read an excerpt from the book right there. You can also buy it right there on that same page. Now, I know, Jim, that there are people who don't like to buy from the big boy on the block, and Amazon is the big boy on the block. Is there somewhere else, if someone wants to go to another place to buy the book, that it's available? Yes. If you Google the title I on your search engine, I have a web page for the book, and it is available to the publisher as well, which is Westbow Publishing. Now, do you, you on your website? What else will they find besides an ability to buy the book? Oh, and ex, you know, some excerpts of the book. A little bit about me is on the book, and a little bit about the the background. So, some general information concerning the uh, the book itself. You know, when you tell a story about a real life person, someone who was living and breathing among us. I think it's extremely powerful, especially it sounds like this story and it sounds like Bit himself was a pretty imposing individual. When the listeners become readers and they they get a copy of the book, whether it's an electronic copy or a physical copy, and they read about Bit's life, and for the last time they, they finish 
they close that back cover, the black, the either electronically or physically close the back cover because they finished the book. What would you, what do you think Bit would want them to take away from this book? Is there a, is there a message that you really think you want to leave with the listener? Yes, I think Bit was, I think Bit knew he was very charismatic. People around him loved him. And he could do things and, and, and really operate things. He'd have made a great CEO, more than likely. He ran nightclubs with this elaborate tipping system that he installed, and he treated people very nice, and everybody wanted to be around Bit. And the industry folks, dancers, I guess, and bartenders and those type of folks wanted to work for Bit. But I guess the message that maybe Bit wanted to leave was, was that it's never too late to, to do the right thing. It's never too late to get right with God. And his fervent hope was that if one person is helped by the efforts he and I went to, to put this book out, then it was worth all the, all the effort we made. I, I could not agree with you more, Jim. I think that being able to tell Bit's story and put it out there for other people to read and to get his bottom line message is very important. And it's been such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for being our guest today on Books on Air. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Remember, you can find From Night Life to Eternal Life, The Story of Bit Thrower by Jim Henniger on Amazon, as well as on Jim's website. You've been listening to the Books on Air podcast brought to you on webtalkradio.net. You can also hear this podcast on iTunes, as well as iHeartRadio. I'm Suzanne Harris, and I hope you'll join our next Books on Air podcast, because remember, you never know what we're going to talk about. Thank you so much for listening.